I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, Jamie. Yes, mate. Excellent. Let's do it. Hi, I'm chef, restaurant owner and music fan, Paul Ainsworth, and this is Knives, Forks and Tunes, the podcast where we ask the all-important questions, dream dinner party menu, playlist, and of course, who's invited. Every episode's cooking tips, party playlists are available on the show's description. My guest this week is multi-award-winning, multi-instrumentalist musician, Jamie Cullum. Jamie has recorded nine studio albums, four compilation albums, one live album, and is about to add another to the list with the complete edition of The Piano Man at Christmas, coming out on the 19th of November. The album's lead single, Christmas Don't Let Me Down, is out now. Jamie, welcome to Nice Forks and Tunes. Hi, thanks, Paul. How are you doing? Massive fan and, yeah, can't believe I'm speaking to you, actually. So, uh, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Oh, well, I really appreciate that. It's my total pleasure to be here, for sure. Brilliant. So, first of all, you you know what the podcast's about. Um, we're going to kind of put together your dream dinner party, dream guest list, location, what you want to eat. I'm hopefully going to be able to help you cook that, um, and and what music we're going to listen to. But before we, you know, before we get going, obviously your wife Sophie is a food writer. Like, who does the majority of the cooking at home? Well, that's it's it goes and swings and roundabouts really it totally depends on where we're at in our lives and obviously we have two young kids as well well they're not actually that young anymore they're eight and ten but um i think importantly we definitely bonded over food when we first met before we were before we were a couple and we were just friends yeah um we were clearly two people who liked to eat and cook and talk about food and plan what we were going to eat and plan what we were going to shop for all those all those kind of things so food you know when, when uh, I think when she first saw that I kept cookbooks by my bed um, uh, she, she knew we'd get on that's for sure so I'm someone who does tend to I, I can read uh, uh, cookbooks in bed but um you know the majority of the cooking. You know, I'd say it's I'd say it's fifty fifty. I mean, when when she's at the, when she's cooking, I know it's going to be a cut above what I can do. But I'm 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 not bad in the in in the in the kitchen myself actually. So I, I would say it's fifty fifty fifty. But then again, we're we're a family, and you're just you're just constantly putting out fires when you've got a family and trying to get everyone to school and <laughs> make everyone's lives fit together. Yeah, and uh, and then yeah, when you have children, you then all of a sudden go into the world of menus. <laughs> <laughs> yes that's true of course without without a doubt and that that but you know we've, we've i think we've managed to find a, a reasonable balance between eating good stuff all together and keeping it kid friendly as well yeah and if you're throwing like a dinner party and having you know family and friends around is it is sort of sophie in the kitchen and are you are you more entertaining or do you get stuck in in the kitchen as well 
Nah, if we're doing that, we'll both we'll, we'll both do it together actually, um, because I think I think because we both love it, and we'll both maybe one of us will do the starter, one of us will do the main course, or we'll just kind of help out. I mean, I, I guess a roast is a perfect example, isn't it? Because that's a kind of staple kind of we've 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 often got people over on a Sunday, and uh, we we love a Sunday roast, so we'll we'll just kind of duel up the duties there for sure. So I would say there again, it's fifty fifty as well. It sounds like a good partnership, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now your your guest list is really lovely really like sort of emotive you're actually like our first guest that's kind of gone with a guest list like this which is really really nice so you know your father's jewish isn't he well he is uh, he was uh, his his mother was jewish but um his father was uh, uh church of england so he didn't it's quite an interesting situation he didn't grow up jewish as such because um his mother uh, had escaped uh, during the war. She was Eastern, Eastern European and ended up uh, in Jerusalem, uh, where my dad was born. And I think by the time he was born and she'd moved to the UK, she had a German accent, which in the 50s in the UK was a very frightening thing to have. And she was also Jewish, which uh, I think, again... You, you didn't want to kind of wear your Jewishness too loudly at that stage. So I would say the Jewishness in his life came a lot later and almost as a, almost as a surprise. Um, yeah, so that's, um, so my dad, you know, I have a lot of Jewish influences, but I, you couldn't call him Jewish, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And Jamie, do you celebrate Christmas? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. It's probably like almost every other family you can think of. It's kind of chaotic children, wrapping paper, Christmas lunch. It's it's very British, you know. It's very British. You know, it's Queen's Speech, uh, turkey, uh, roast potatoes, Brussels sprouts, the lot. It's, um, I, think we, I think we cling to that tradition of Christmas like a free-floating life raft in the chaos of everyday life. Yeah. It's kind of there. You know what you're going to get. You know it's going to be crazy. You know it's going to be you know, fun. And you know, you're going to love it while it's happening, but you're also going to love it when it's over as well. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we keep it, we keep it very traditional. So there's no, it's, it's not like we're celebrating any other kind of religious traditions. It's, it's very much like a classic kind of British kind of, uh, Christmas like that. Yeah. And are you a sweet or savory person? Um, I am a savory person. I, I, I do. I, I enjoy my sweets, but um, I'm always. I always think uh, if there's a chocolate bar and a packet of crisps, I'm always going to go for the packet of crisps. But my palate is a bit broader than that. I can promise you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Love it. Right. So let's get onto let's get onto this dinner party. So before we get onto the guests, any location you want, where would you like to host this dinner party? Ooh, um, that is a good question. I think eating outside is first of all a must. Yeah. It has to be it has to be outside. Um and you know, I love a cozy kitchen. I love I love being near where the chef is, you know. I love I love those restaurants where you can be near where the chef is because I I like to kind of watch what they're doing, but I think for me the um the idea of being outside in a beautiful garden, you know, under a tree. Um, I don't, it doesn't have to be in Italy or France or any of the foodie places. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of amazingly uh, warm but mild spring weather uh, w- under the shade of a tree in a beautiful garden would be would be ideal for me. Yeah. You mentioned there as well, like watching the chefs. Is that something you really love, like watching chefs sort of do their do their thing, do their craft? I think my my obsession in life is masters of any craft. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with people who, who, you know, I went to watch uh, um, people in Japan uh, indigo dye denim for like a day once because they are masters at that kind of stuff. I've watched people sharpen and make knives. Um, and I've had the chance to watch some chefs at work uh, you know, like yourself, masters of their craft, people who just who are obsessed with what they do. I'm obsessed with what I do. And I, I, I love to recognize the obsession in someone else. When you know someone's thinking about their work in the middle of the night, they wake up thinking about what they're going to make and what they're going to do in, in, their, in their working life. I, I really recognize that. So seeing a great chef at work where I can maybe pick up a couple of tips, but also just marvel in the amount of hours and days and years they spent in this tiny short time we spend on life, they've chosen to commit themselves to this thing. I'm fascinated by that. That is, that is, where, that is where I just I get so fascinated. So I love watching chefs at work, yeah. Well, we've, we've got a... We've got a chef's table in Cornwall. One of it's called Mahe, and yeah, I think you and Sophie would love it. It's basically a ten-seater counter, like a Japanese-style counter, where we just cook everything Fantastic. in front of you. I lo- I'm going to book it. I'm going to book it in after this. <laughs> right, Jamie, alive or dead, fictional or real, it's totally up to you. Tell us who's coming to this dream dinner party. Now you did say totally up to me, yeah. And um, I think sometimes with with uh, fancy dinner party guests, I, I, sometimes I feel like if if the, the the person make sure they have to choose everything to show how kind of broad and interesting they are. <laughs> and so I sat down, I, I sat down, and I thought rather than trying to prove a point about who I am, which I'm I'm kind of long past doing now. I would dearly, dearly love to sit down with my immediate ancestors that I never got the chance to really talk to about their lives. So first of all, on my mum's side, uh, my grandfather uh, was uh, was Indian. He was an orphan uh, from India. He was born in Agra. He had um, many, many brothers and sisters and was brought up um, in a, uh, uh, brought up by monks um, and grew up uh, in India. My grandmother on my mother's side was born in Burma. Yeah. Uh, when uh, during that war, they, uh, my grandmother fled to India. She met my grandfather. They came back to Burma where my mum was born, uh, outside of Rangoon. So their early lives, my grandfather died when I was um, uh, 10. And my grandmother very sadly uh, got very bad dementia in my late teens, just around the time I really wanted to know more and more about her life. So if I could have them back in full force to be able to ask them about their lives over there, that would be amazing. And then, of course, we've touched on my dad's side. On my my dad's side, my uh, Jewish grandmother was born in Prussia, which is now part of Poland. And uh, she fled, obviously, during World War Two, went through Egypt and ended up um, in Jerusalem, where my dad was born. And she kept a lot inside about her life because I think a lot of it was too painful. But she was, again, a fascinating woman, really, like, well-read, uh, really like obsessed with like wearing she always you know she didn't have much money but she always wore beautiful shoes and she always made good coffee and she always had chicken soup on the stove um and you know my my grandmother's family all from from Burma and India you know we would get handmade lime pickle for for Christmas and amongst all the kind of very Britishness of our lives you know both my parents were, were refugees as such but and they were forced to be very British but there were these remnants of these other lives that I didn't really grow up knowing much about because I think the previous generation it was also traumatic 
being uprooted from your lives that it wasn't something that was talked about so much. And now as a parent, you know, in my 40s and being fascinated about my family history, there's just so much I don't know about their lives that I would love to know. I'd love to just get all the stories. And sadly, I, I, I miss that from them. And, um, you know, if we're talking about fancy dinner guests, that would be what I'd want more than anything. It's it's so brilliant and it's um it's really inspiring and it's something I can sort of really relate to Jamie because my my mum is from the Seychelles and my dad met my mum in the Seychelles and then my mum moved to um the UK in the late 70s and I actually only ever met my meme and tata which is basically grand grandmother and grandfather once in 1985 and my mum comes from seven sisters and one brother so it's wow. yeah it's a huge family and yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'm going to go to Seychelles um, next year and we've got a daughter because I was five years old when I first went and we're going to take take my daughter and there's so much of my mum's side of the family I just don't know about. Does your mum talk about it a lot? Yeah, she does. Most recently, her two sisters came over. A lot of a lot of the family, their sisters, um, the brother stayed in Seychelles, but a lot of the family went to the States and um, some to the UK. And Right. Yeah, there's, but I just feel there's just so much to my mum's side that I don't know. Um, and yeah, and even, even down, I was, my next question for you was like, you know, like Burmese cuisine and um, Indian cuisine. Is, is that something you've had a lot of? Is it something that you enjoy? Well, I absolutely enjoy it and I love it. And I, as I said, there were like remnants of it kind of coming through their lives into ours. But I think, and this is quite common with people that were kind of literally dropped off in this country and having to make their way, they became almost absurdly British in their tastes. Yeah. But, um, you know, in the sense that they're, they're kind of almost like banished all, all those kind of bits of cult- cultural heritage, which, again, kind of makes my heart ache for them a bit. Um, but at the same time, yes, there was like a, my 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 uh, nan and her sisters, they would they would there would be this part of the year where they just make loads of lime pickle and there'd be lime pickle on everything. And there'd be a, you know, there'd be a biryani on the table and lime pickle and it would just be there. And I, I kind of got so used to it being a part of our our lives. But yeah. I didn't I didn't really I didn't really put the pieces together until I was older because it was just not something they were really willing to 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 visit so much because I think their obsession was to be to make sure they fitted in in this country and you know I bet the same with you you become more interested in your family history when you have your own children you start to try and put these the weird historical genetics together yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, even even down to the food. I think I've always, you know, we we grew up in a, a guest house. Um, me and my sister. So my mum and dad had their own business and they had this sort of like um, five bedroom. Then it became like a ten bedroom B and B. And my mum mm. would take over the cooking on the weekends, but my dad actually cooked during the week. But growing up as a kid, when you went around friends' houses, dads didn't cook. They didn't have a clue how to cook. Mums did all the cooking. Um, so sure. I kind of saw this like this sort of really lovely. Sort of like spices and herbs and like lots of fish it's sort of at the weekends which I didn't realize because I didn't know then I wanted to be a chef but how lucky I was to have two parents that cooked and I mean you couldn't get more more ends of the spectrum so my dad is from just outside Blackpool and my mum's from like the paradise that is the Seychelles that that's that's amazing yeah (laughs) It's 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 so interesting how much of that has changed, isn't it? Like the you know you talk about like having a dad who cooked, like nowadays, you know if you're not a dad who cooks, 
Yeah. Yes, it's like, you know, who, who are you? You know, so it's like, it's, it, things have changed. And I was thinking about that the other day. Someone was asking me, and it's, I, I don't know about you, but Jamie Oliver had a lot to do with that, surely. Yeah. So uh, just in, in terms of like be, being someone that like, I guess I saw my, you know, like a young kind of indie looking kid. Yeah. You know, cooking on the TV. I was like, I, I relate to that. And, it, it, you know, definitely it's seeing him on the TV and seeing his books out there definitely made me want to get better at cooking for sure. Yeah. Jamie's had a massive impact on that because, you know, he he was he was cooking. He was cooking dishes that were like relatable and everyone could go out and buy those ingredients. And, um, you know, that just made it so accessible for everyone and you know he gave you great tips and still does you know I'm a real big fan of Jamie I enjoy watching enjoy watching his shows and it's something that I've you know every time if I go on Saturday Kitchen or um, Sunday Brunch or something like that I'll never go on and do dishes like what we do at number six or Mahe like I was telling you about the chef's table it'll always Mm. be things that people have got at home or they could even if they watch Sunday Brunch they could go out that morning grab the ingredients and be cooking it in the afternoon because then yeah, it becomes brilliant. really interesting and then you get so much more from it and it makes it fun. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm a big Jamie Oliver fan for what he's done um, to get people like you say into cooking. Right. So we've, we're outside. Um, we've got your, your ancestors and family, which is just amazing. Let's kick off with food. starter me and you in the kitchen i've got my sleeves rolled up how can i help what we having well a bit of a revelation to me was making dishes that you don't actually ha- well you do have to cook in the in the sense but they don't need cooking so it's preparation of amazing ingredients and um you know a dish like uh some kind of devon crab the combination of devon crab with fennel and chili, uh, I had that before, um, and it, it just the f- the freshness and the the how how much it makes you feel close to the sea and close to what can grow in the garden and and close to the temperature that is there, but also with the with the the harshness and the the, the sharpness of the chili and some citrus. Uh, it, it, for me, uh, that is an ideal kind of starter, especially if the the temperature is right and the place is right. So something like that, a dish that you you don't have to cook the needs kind of preparation but when it's perfectly prepared it's just perfect and that to me seems like a dish like that yeah yeah firstly um crab from devon is brilliant we we use it our restaurants are in cornwall so we're very lucky we got the padstow crabs but we also take the crab from brixham um they're slightly bigger um in the devon waters so crab i'm right with you if I did this podcast, like I've never been asked, but like my starter would be crab mayonnaise on toast. Like cr- crab is my absolute favourite. Mm. I love it. Um, and with chili and fennel, it's beautiful. Um, and something that you could try, you could try at home with it, which we do, is is taking a bulb of fennel, just peeling off the the outer shells, just just peel it lightly, so you get rid of that kind of like that sort of skin that's on the top that can be a bit fibrous, and then we just if you turn, if you imagine that's your piece of fennel, you just turn it, sh- cut it really, really thinly with um, with a sharp knife. Some mm. Granny Smith apple, or when English apples are in season, like a nice cox pippin, um, and then separately juice one lime, 
a little bit of sugar and some lime zest. Just bring it up to the just bring it up to the boil, and then when it starts to cool down, just pour it over the fennel and the apple, and it basically just macerates and let it go and let it go cold, like chill it. And I'm telling you, the lime, the apple, and the fennel with the crab is insane. It is absolutely delicious. My mouth is watering as you're describing it. <laughs> I'm glad you're not videoing this. It's pretty gross. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and okay, well, great starter, brilliant, love it. Uh, what are we having to drink? I was very lucky. Uh, I've been very lucky in my music career to visit some amazing places. And uh, there's an incredible festival in Vienne, in France, and I got to visit uh, uh, Condria. Um, and uh, that is uh, and and drink it there and, and come home with a few bottles as well. So I yeah. I think for me that uh, that type of that's the kind of white wine I, I I particularly like, and I think that would go perfectly with the crab. I'm definitely no expert when it comes to this stuff. I'm just relating back to things that I remember swilling around my mouth and thinking like I was in, I was in heaven, and that's definitely a time uh, when when I felt that. Completely agree, and you know what? As well, like sort of. Yeah, it's it's my industry, but I always liken it a bit to like art. It's I don't necessarily think you have to be an expert. At the end of the day, it's good ingredients, and if you love that wine and it's delicious and you love it, then that's the most important thing. Like you say, without trying mm. to be clever about it. Um, but yeah, yeah, lovely. Like you say, like a nice a nice sort of chilled white with the with the crab, the fennel, and the chili. Yeah, good, good times. Right, music. What's the first track on the playlist? Well, I think, you know, at, at dinner parties. Um... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I can be a bit allergic to dinner party music because I kind of feel like people think dinner party music and they think like background music and actually... Uh, you know, I was I was hope that a dinner party turns into a dance party. To be honest, yeah, some of the best dance parties I've had have been after dinner in the kitchen. And actually, that's the my one interior design um, uh, uh, thing that I've contributed to our, our our house is that there are massive speakers in my kitchen. <laughs> so uh, you know, the, and also I think I think rather than putting on like a dinner party playlist. Um, you know, like p- picking one out off a, uh, it's really cool to maybe introduce people to some new music. And right now, the uh, latest album from Little Sims is called Introvert. I genuinely think it is a modern masterpiece and um, it's intelligent. It's incredibly groovy and brilliantly put together. Her, her voice, her lyrics, 
is incredible. It's extraordinarily produced. Uh, it's one of the best pieces of work as a musician I've heard in the last 20 years. And the one of the lead tracks of that is called Introvert. So I would choose Little Sims Introvert. That's amazing. What a compliment from someone like yourself. Brilliant. So Little Sims is our first track on the playlist. Brilliant. Mm. Right, main course. Now you haven't really you you've sort of like I've been a bit vague here for you. Yeah, yeah. But I've got I was hoping you could help me. Yeah, definitely. So I um you know, I I I I cook a lot. And one thing I haven't done a lot of is cook outside. Obviously I've done the odd barbecue, but I've I've been uh at a couple of things in my life where um it's been quite a caveman vibe to what's going on. So in the sense that it's cooking over fire. And I remember once we were uh, just outside of San Sebastian, we were, we were kindly invited out to this amazing vineyard and um, we did some tasting and went round the, the vineyards. And then uh, the guy who showed us around just casually um, cooked some uh, incredible lamb chops over, over uh, vines, over just over the vines that they cut and, it was one of the most delicious things. I think they get that so right in Spain. It's kind of, it's perfection, but it's so kind of unfussy. And so I've become slightly obsessed with that that taste of um, fire. And it doesn't have to be meat because it can be fish as well. I've had some amazing, uh, but it, it needs that kind of sense of the wood or the charcoal that's being cooked on. So I, I think I said like the lamb chops cooked over the vine leaves. But again, any, I, I just want anything cooked over fire with some incredible either like an amazing crisp garden salad, really simple. Not, I don't love loads of things in a salad. I like an amazing dressing and maybe one or two ingredients within the salad. And that to me would be, would be perfect. Right. I am excited about this. I'm excited about this because you, you're, you're so passionate about food, which is amazing. Um, so I feel I can be a bit, um, not scientific, but I'm a big believer, like with everything we do, it's, it's not always, it's not always the most obvious things. It's all the details. So like, you know, if we're making a gin and tonic at the restaurants, we want the ice to be brilliant. What I mean by that is, is just good quality ice cubes aren't wet, that aren't letting the drip down. Even the glass that comes in, everything that, each step is brilliant and I can say I definitely can say this to you because I can tell you are really into your cooking but there's some amazing people out there now who are producing brilliant charcoal so not just kind of going to the you know to the sort of the services or your local garage and picking up a bag of coal like even down to that detail like really good charcoal in Cornwall we have a good friend of ours Jack Bristow who's producing some amazing charcoal at Nancaro Farm there's loads of people in London doing it. Um, or you can go online and get um, bichatan. Um, so bichatan is basically like a, it's almost like a charcoal tube with a hole running through the middle, but it runs at a high heat for a long time. So you haven't got to worry about, you know, when the sort of temperature drops, it holds its heat. Yeah. Um, but also then when those juices, when those fats then go drip down onto the coals, create the smoke and the fire, which then pushes back up and really gives that lovely flavour on your meat. That is what I'm talking about, a bit like likening it to the ice in your drink. Um, I'm going to go fish because, you know, you had these like amazing lamb chops and I've been to San Sebastian as well. It's my favourite food place on earth um, that I've, I've just absolutely had the best time there. And I would get from your fishmongers something like a really nice whole monkfish. Okay. 
as you kind of get better with fish cookery, you can then start to look at sort of like flat fish and, you know, and even if you want, you know, get something like a nice turbot, but um, something like a monkfish, all right? Get that, season it like nicely, just, just with some nice sea salt all over it. Like then we're going to get some butter and we're just going to brown the butter. So in the in a pan beforehand, just brown the butter. So basically, your the milk solids and the um, the clarified part of the butter separate. The milk solids just brown, pull it off, and then it's done. And then just squeeze a little bit of lemon juice in it. And then rather than using a pastry brush, make your own brush out of herbs: rosemary, thyme, and some bay leaf. So make like a little bouquet, tie it with some string and dip it into that brown butter. And as it's roasting on those coals, you're just adding flavour. You know, a pastry brush doesn't taste nothing, but thyme and rosemary does. And just brush this monkfish, keep turning it in this lovely brown butter. And then the great thing about a monkfish, it's just like a piece of meat. It's really forgiving. It's not one of those types of fish that kind of you've got a really short window where you've got to kind of cook it, serve it. A monkfish can rest and it's going to be on the bone, like a like a nice piece of steak on the bone, uh, and then just carve it at the table. And salad-wise, I'm exactly like you. One of my favourite salads is just great quality mozzarella, um, some beautiful tomatoes, basil, good olive oil, seasoned with some nice, um, some nice sea salt. And then... Yeah, I mean, I I mean, who doesn't? I just love, I absolutely love, especially if you've got the barbecue out, like just real good jacket potatoes. I mean, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Good. Jacket, yeah. Again, yeah. like rub them in the oil, season them nicely with the salt, wrap them in, wrap them in the fork, stick them on the, stick them on the um, barbecue well ahead and just let them cook, keep turning them and turning them. But that thing when you just open them up and push and all that fluffy potato, but the skin's really dark on the outside and the olive oil and the sea salt, I'm telling you, it's the one. Gorgeous. That's amazing. And uh, tell me, I, I just got one question about the monkfish. How aggressive are you having the heat uh, uh, in terms of the, the the coals? Are you are you having it? You having it with a flame or just like really kind of the the kind of glowing kind of coals? Exactly that, glowing white. Yeah. And then you can control yeah. it as well because sometimes people yeah. go too early on the barbecue and then that's when they're just yeah. engulfed in flames and panicking. Let that coal go from sort of flame to sort of the black, then to the white, and then let it really do its thing. And then you've got plenty of space. You'll feel for where you can move it around and just keep, don't don't fiddle with it too much, but like put it on and then let it do its thing for like a minute, minute and a half, then turn it. And then just keep turning it and turning it. And one little investment, right? They're not a lot of money. You get them on Amazon is a, basically a digital food probe. They're about 15, yeah. 20 pounds and we use them for everything because what they give you, Jamie, is consistency. And then you would just put the probe into the fish, you go right near the bone, and then you'd want that to be you'd want that to be reading about 45, 47 degrees. Let it come off. And then you know it's ready. And let yeah. it rest. And then when it's resting, just keep turning it and don't let it rest on a plate. Put it on a rack so it's got air all around it. Not just so because yeah. what's gonna happen is you're gonna suppress the heat on the on the plate and that's gonna like overcook the fish. Keep turning, yeah. keep brushing it in that butter, and then just simply carved with some brushed with some more of that brown butter and lemon. That is all you want. Great. I'll be cooking that and I'll send you a picture. <laughs> right. Uh, you happy with that then for main course? I am more than happy. I wish I could eat it now, but yeah, I'm happy. <laughs> Amazing. Right. And uh, what have you chose to, to drink with that, Jamie? 
Well, I mean, taking it back to San Sebastian that you that you mentioned, uh, I went to an amazing place, one of those uh, big cider places that they have yeah. out, uh, out in the countryside near San Sebastian. So one of those um, northern Basque uh, ciders. Or, you know, I love my red wine. I really, really like a red wine. I'm, I'm probably the best... The best red wines I ever drank actually was a, a Napa Valley red wine. It's a bit Bordeaux like actually. Yeah. Um, so one of the one of those that has very very, uh, um, I wouldn't say it has an aggressive flavour, but it's one that you re- it's one that you really really remember and notice. You know, there's no that you don't kind of pick apart the flavour. It just it's it's one of those ones that you when you've drunk it, you know you've drunk it, and you'll never forget it. <laughs> <laughs> the best red wine I've ever had is Californian and it was called Montebello yeah. and it's made by like Ridgeview and it was just, it, it blew me mm. away. And I, I am totally agree that absolutely love Californian wines. I think the cider is a really great choice as well. And I think for this menu, yeah. that would be really good to have there as well. I think so with this, exactly. I was th- I was thinking that it would it would have to be that that cider. It's you, you really taste the farmyard in that cider, yeah, in the best possible way, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. So I got invited to a cider um, judging competition in Cornwall at the Royal Cornwall Showground, and they said that you know like Prince Charles was going to be there, and it was going to be really amazing. I felt really honoured to go there, and but I had I didn't obviously didn't ask any questions. I just thought I was going to go and judge some ciders. 456 ciders so they had they had like you had professional right down to a bloke that is making it in his shed in a string vest um and like like and i'm saying this in the nicest possible way not all of them were amazing and what i learned with (laughs) cider was that farmyard thing that you're talking about it's actually it produces sulfur and some of these ciders were just like, it was like that, like when you go visit a volcano on holiday and that egg smell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, was, oh gross. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, I, did, I, I had to go. Like, we were there for hours. Yeah. And even though I was spitting it all yeah. out, I could feel that, like, I had this, re- you know, when you get that real horrible head. And it was, oh. <laughs> okay. And uh, what's, what's on the playlist for the mains? Um, well, again, it's this kind of thing about introducing people to new music, and uh, it, it maybe th- I know people like to play kind of compilations of music at dinner parties, and I think if you're thinking of putting something on really interesting that people are going to love that you can also play like that's on while you're having a chat, there's this amazing compilation called Jukebox Jam, right? And it's by one of my fa- it's put together by one of my favourite record labels, a really like small record label that people music people know about, but not necessarily the wider world. They're called Jazzman Records. They don't just put out jazz records at all. But this is called Jukebox Jam and it's got gem it's got lost gems on it. And the first track it opens with is the classic blues standard, Baby Please Don't Go, but it's sung by a singer I didn't know called Rose Mitchell from New Orleans. Uh for, I, I believe she's from New Orleans. There's so so many it's not not a lot of information about her, but this record, Jukebox Jam from Jazzman Records, is just full of gems that people don't know lost in dusty attics in the midst of time some of these records were pressed 400 500 back in the 60s and 70s and this record is full of them so i would choose the opening track of that compilation baby please don't go by rose mitchell but i would suggest that you put the entire compilation on jukebox jam yeah awesome right dessert i love uh peaches 
Um, yeah. And um, not in the not in the Justin Bieber way. Yeah. Uh, although I don't quite understand what he's on about anyway, so maybe I do. But um, Peaches, um, you know, some of my most f- favourite, um, I would say, dessert flavours have involved peach, whether it's the peach sorbet, peach ice cream. But actually, to be honest, a sliced peach kind of poached in some amazing alcohol or something like that. Yeah. Anything to do with peaches or a San Sebastian cheesecake. And again, if you've been to San Sebastian, you think of cheese and you'd think, you know, cheesecake, you have it in San Sebastian out of one of those flame ovens and you realise you have no idea what cheesecake is. So one of those one of those two things. So I'm going to throw that out there and see what you come up with. Let's go. (laughs) I love it. First of all, great peaches. Fantastic. Uh, What I'm going to do with the peaches is obviously you want to be having these peaches when they are in prime, prime season. So really juicy, really had lots of sunshine on them. So I I do like the white peaches that come from France, but if I had to choose, I actually just love the the, the nectarine style, the, the really deep yellow peaches when they're at their best. There's something about when you just cut through and you just pull out and there's that lovely that lovely kind of red colour in the middle where the stone is. I just love those types of peaches. So we're going to cut them in half, remove the stone, uh, and then we're going to poach them in champagne. All right, so we are like we we are going there, and it's it is not a waste. One that champagne is going to really, really um, like permeate those peaches and like give it an amazing flavour to them. In there, we're going to have some vanilla. We're going to put a little bit of thyme, a little bit of hibiscus in there, right? Mm. And we're just going to poach them gently. Once the peaches are poached, we're then going to use that lovely liquor, and and the great way of doing this is do this at least two days before. And then once the peaches are just, once once you've literally brought up the um, champagne, burned off the alcohol, left the, left the pure, beautiful, subtle flavour of the champagne, leave the peaches in there, right? Don't do nothing to that. Leave the um, thyme in there, the vanilla in there, everything for a minimum of two days. Then come back to it, take the peaches out, part, that lovely juice that's in there, all that lovely um, cooking liquor, just simply for every litre of that liquor, you'll want one sheet of gelatine. All right? And it's as simple as that. And then we're going to make like the most... And then Because you've just got all this flavour, so you're just simply going to make the most incredible peach and champagne jelly. Right? Mm. Then with the peaches, we're just going to simply put those into a nice like a, a nice frying pan and just literally all we want to do is like caramelize some of the sweetness some of the sugars the natural sugars that are in the peach and then we're going to get take mascarpone creme fraiche cream cheese some vanilla some orange zest and we're just going to flavor it lightly with a little bit of cointreau or grand marnier like a nice orange liqueur first of all you whip the mascarpone and the creme fraiche together they like stabilize the the mixture and the reason I'm going is because I know you love cheesecake. I love cheesecake. And this is like a real quick recipe. I love baked cheesecake, but I also love cheesecake when you make it like this as well. Yeah. So, and, and don't cook it. Um, and then you whip up the cream separately and then fold the whipped cream into the mascarpone, the creme fraiche and the cream cheese that's got the vanilla in there, the orange zest in there and your Cointreau in there. And then you've what you'll find, Jamie, is you've just got this unbelievable whipped cheesecake. And what what I love about desserts is I always like temperature in desserts. So what you've got here is is chilled cheesecake, nice yeah. nice dollop on top, 
warm roasted peaches. Mm. Mm, yeah. Some of that, like that jelly, you don't be, don't want to cut it into cubes or be fancy. Once that jelly's set in the fridge, just a nice, put in a, like a spoon and lift out. Like it, the more natural it looks, the better some jelly. And then just simply over the top, some roasted almonds that have just been lightly roasted in butter with a little bit of sea salt. Job done. Yum. Yum, job more than done. <laughs> that sounds so delicious. You've played a good strategy. Normally everyone comes with their dishes knowing what they want, whereas it's been brilliant to yeah, it's been brilliant <laughs> to talk to you about food. So and what would you like to drink with that, Jamie? Well, do you know what? I, I thought about this and I, I do like a nice dessert wine, like a Sauterne, you know, um, I've had some good ones. I don't know much about them, but again, I've been lucky enough to drink some really nice ones. And if it's right, it can be absolutely delicious. But actually, the truth is, what I always want after a good meal is an, a, a single espresso. Yeah. Like, I am obsessed with... That's all... It's all. It's all the, It's the. really all I drink when it comes to coffee is espresso. I have a couple a day. I start the day with one, and I have one kind of after lunch. And if it's a, if it's a late one, I'll have one after dinner. But I, my, that fl- flavour... And I, I'm talking, like, really good espresso, like, perfectly made, freshly ground. Yeah. Made in a good machine, by a machine that's been properly cleaned. Yeah. You know, uh, by, by, by someone who knows what they're doing. And it's something I've spent quite a lot of time learning how to do at home. Yeah. And I have a good machine, a good grinder, and I, I buy good beans so it's um really like a dessert wine or a really damn damn good espresso no sugar nothing no milk not ruining it with anything like that uh and what's on the playlist again i'm all about new music i love old music but i'm all about new music and this is an artist i discovered recently she's from south africa she's called Moonchild Sanelli. And uh, this is a tune, uh, Covivi. Um, I don't know what it's about, but it's it's the kind of tune that will start to get people going after dinner and think it might turn into a dance party. It's not like immediately aggressive, but it's got an incredible bass line that drops in halfway through. And it's a kind of slightly unknown track. And I, I can't I can't fail to see how if you just start turning the music up a little bit at the end of the meal, people are like, oh, yeah, maybe this is going to turn into a party now, which yeah. sounds like an ideal dinner party to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Love it. Right, final question, Jamie. Um, I'm sure in your industry there's, you know, there's something you strive towards, want to be recognised by. Uh, in my industry, that is Michelin stars. If you were to give a Michelin star to an artist, musician, um, who would that be? Well, I've probably my, my, my biggest songwriting idol, uh, and that's Tom Waits. Yeah. Um, he's an artist I kind of, I've grown to love more and more as I've got older, but I was definitely fascinated with him when I was younger. He's made some of the most beautiful sounding music. He's made some of the weirdest sounding music. He makes sweet, sweet love songs. He makes aggressive, like angry, shouting blues songs. His lyrics are... Um, there are certain songs he's written, like um, I'm Still Here from an album he made called Alice that make me cry. I, I literally cry whenever I hear it and I've heard it a thousand times. And he has a sense of fun and anarchy and total independence. Yeah, he's done everything on his own terms. And um, that to me is really inspiring. I think as an artist, it's, it's really, it's hard to maintain that throughout your career. And he's done it. He's as cool as fuck, and I just love him. Love it. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. 
Jamie, honestly, it's been an absolute honour for me to speak to you. And uh, I think your your food choices, your drink choices, music, everything, and and most importantly, the people you wanted round the table as well. Uh, that's your nice forks and tunes, mate. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much, and it's my honour as well. So thank you, I really appreciate it. Brilliant, and it'd be lovely to welcome you and Sophie in Cornwall as well. So, uh... <laughs> oh, I'll be, I'll be right there. I'll never leave. <laughs> oh, amazing! Thank you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.